Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. When I get to a very interesting passage, we won't explore the entire passage, just parts of it based on where we're at. And this is on page 231 of your book. And we're going to talk about the two witnesses of Revelation. And again, we're in the first half of the tribulation. The first three and a half years. Again, this is page 231 in Footsteps of Messiah. Y'all there? Okay, here we go. So this is going to be an activity of these two individuals that happens the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And so it says this, And I will give unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's three and a half years. And they're clothed in sackcloth. That's mourning, okay? These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the Lord of the earth. Now, that's a reference to Zechariah 4. So if you, you stop right there and jump down on the bottom of your page to Zechariah 4, this was the Old Testament prophecy about the two witnesses. And this is recorded in Zechariah. And it says, Then I answered and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered the the second time and said unto him, What are these two olive branches which are beside the two golden spouts that empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Know know you not what uh, these are? And I said, No, my lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, the idea of them being olive trees or two candlesticks, that the the oil is flowing into them is representative of the Holy Spirit flowing into them to empower them. Because after this verse in Zechariah, it's the famous verse that says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. A lot of people use that out of context, right? You've heard people use that. It's a direct reference to the two witnesses, and what Zechariah is trying to say is they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this activity. That's why they're connected to the olive trees and their their candlesticks and there's oil flowing to them, metaphorically speaking, uh, to know that their power is derived from God, not themselves. Okay, so we go back to Revelation and it says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the Lord of the earth. So John re- repeats that. And if any man desires to hurt them, so they're, they're going to have a protection, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemy. So they have the ability to real fire to come out of their mouths. This is not a metaphor. This is real things. And if any man shall desire to hurt them, in this manner must he be killed. So anyone that tries to attack them, an army, whatever, they're able to have fire come out of their mouth and destroy them. Very supernatural, okay? These have the power to shut heaven, basically to cause famine, that it rain not during the days of their prophecy. So they can stop the weather patterns, by the way, and prevent it from raining. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood, just as Moses did and to smite the earth with every plague as often as they shall desire. Did you catch that last phrase? 
we don't know the amount of plagues and and judgments that these guys can bring because it's not told yet. We know what revelation that the angels give, but these guys will do far more just in three and a half years by the power of God. Uh, so here's let's stop right here and let's do some investigation. We talk about this because, and I'm going to end here because we won't deal with their death until we're at the midpoint of the tribulation. We're not at the midpoint. We're at the beginning of the tribulation or, or the, the first three and a half years. So these guys are witnessing primarily to Israel as a nation. Okay, You have the 144,000 that are spread over the earth witnessing to Jew and Gentile, but the two witnesses are primarily for Israel. There's no doubt with TV coverage that the whole world will see what's happening, but they're doing this in Jerusalem. Okay, Imagine watching TV and you have a report that they were attacked, but they were able to destroy an army with fire that came out of both their mouths. And that they prophesied that water would turn into blood and that they could stop the, the rain from happening over different parts of the, the planet. Tell me how they will interpret this, the secular people. They're not human. They've got to be. What? Because if you're not going to take that there's, this is supernatural and God is saying, I'm the one empowering them, that the oil is coming from me, it's the Holy Spirit empowering them. If you won't admit that that power is coming from God, that they're human beings empowered by God, what other choices do you have? They must be aliens who look like human beings. Have taken on. So it's Men in Black, you know, that movie with uh, Will, uh, Will Smith and what's the other guy, Tommy Lee? Uh, is that what his name was? Tommy Lee Jones, okay. So what would happen with the aliens in that movie? They looked like humans, but then they would be an alien, they'd take off their thing, okay? The concept is not too far removed on what they're going to think about these. They've already been introduced by this thought by Hollywood. So they see these guys doing supernatural things. they got to be aliens, because no human being can do this, and it definitely is not God. But here's the deal. From what we understand, they're from God. Who are these two guys? Who could they be? Are they Elijah and Moses? Maybe. Why would you say it's Elijah or Moses? Yes, he did. Moses turned the water into blood. So they're doing similar miracles or similar, you know, things that the, 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 that that prophet and Moses did, right? Very similar. Is it Elijah and Enoch? Maybe. Elijah, uh, uh, Enoch never died. He was translated, right? Okay. So let's get very specific. And, and some, there's, there's those theories, but let's talk first of all of, about Enoch. And let's understand what happened to him. Enoch walked with God and God translated him, basically. But where did Enoch go? Maybe maybe this will be easier. What's that old song uh, about Elijah? I, I don't even know that thing. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home, or whatever, right? Where did Elijah go when the chariot picked him up? 
To heaven? Thank you. Thank you. You're on top of it. Even though you don't have any, any, yeah, great. He doesn't have any inheritance for them. Um, he got that one right. Now, Dick, Dick's sharper than attack. Why would he say they didn't go to heaven but Abraham's bosom? Why? Christ had not died yet. So anyone, any saint in the Old Testament before the cross, they did not go to the third heaven where God is. Nobody did. They went to Sheol. And the compartment that they went to was called Abraham's bosom, or what we call paradise. Jesus said it on the cross, they would be in paradise. Dick's right on top of that, man. Why do so many Christians believe that Elijah was taken into heaven? The third heaven. Well, they say, well, Brandon, it says the, the chariot come and picked him up in heaven and took him into heaven. Uh, yeah, I know, but the Hebrew and the concept of heaven has, there's three heavens. Not the Mormon version, obviously. But the Hebrew word and even the Greek word, uh, well, let's put it this way. In the beginning, God created the heaven, Shamayim, which is plural in Hebrew, and the earth, the Aretz. Ha-Aretz. Okay, the Shamayim is plural because there are three heavens. And what are those heavens? The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. The second heaven is the space where the planets are. And then the third heaven, Paul said, I went to the third heaven. Remember he said that in, to the Corinth church? The third heaven is where God is. Okay? So that's the biblical idea of heaven. It's not the Mormon version. This is the biblical one. Okay. So when the scripture says that, that Elijah was taken of, taken up in a, a whirlwind, in a chariot of fire to the Shammai, what heaven did he go to? Because it couldn't be in third heaven. Did he go to a planet? Because he, no, I don't know of any stopover on Mars or anything like that. What heaven was it referring to? The atmosphere. Well, did Elijah die? Because the common understanding is that Elijah was translated like Enoch. Okay, but there's a verse that really perplexes me, and you can write this to the side. After Elijah basically was taken up, Elisha puts out a search party in 2 Kings 2.17. They send out 50 guys looking for the guy. Why would they put out a search party if they thought he went into the third heaven? Or they thought he was translated into S.H.I.E.L.D.? They actually put out a search party. Couldn't find him. And they didn't find him. But then, I'll make another reference, Second Chronicles 21, 12 through 13. Second Chronicles 21, 12 through 13 mentions the king of Judah... Jehoram receiving a letter many, many, many years after Elijah's chariot that picked him up. And guess who the letter was from? Elijah. He's still alive. The chariot 
simply transported him to another place in Israel that no one knew. That's all it did. Because years later, he writes a prophecy to that king and warns him. But that's during the ministry of Elisha's ministry. So why did God do this? Because Elisha was ready to take the mountain. When a new king came, this is the way the pattern goes in Scripture, when a new king came, God assigned a new prophet to a new king. And so Elijah's time was over, and we needed to replace him with a new prophet. So they loved Elijah. Elisha didn't want him to go, so what has God got to do? i got to take him out of here. Elijah, you're coming with me. I'm going to hide you for a little bit, because if not, they will not follow Elisha, which is going to have a double anointing and do more miracles than you. And so I've got to take you and transport you away. Now, have we ever seen that pattern before where God takes somebody and transports them to another place? Yeah, in Acts. What happens in Acts? Philip. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that? Then he's transported away. So it's not uncommon for God to transport somebody, especially in the days of Elijah. So this idea, and I know the songs say, oh, you'll take me home to heaven, whatever, uh, like you did Elijah. He didn't go to heaven. He couldn't have went to heaven because the cross had not happened. And Jesus specifically said in John 3.13, No man has ascended up to heaven, but that came down from heaven. Did you catch Jesus on that one? No human being has ever went into heaven. I come from heaven, so I'm telling you how it is. I am the man who came from heaven. And so, based on what Jesus said, Elijah didn't go to heaven. Couldn't have went to heaven. The cross did not happen. So, I know that messes up the whole paradigm. I don't know how this the whole thing got started. I really don't, where Elijah was taken to heaven. Okay, so that being the case, if Elijah lived past the flaming chariots, eventually Elijah died. Right? So, hence, you only have, in essence, Enoch being the only one that really was translated in almost in a raptured state. Okay. So what does that do for our theories? Okay. Malachi 4, or Malachi, the Italian prophet, as I like to say. You remember the Malachi brothers on Happy Days? And they, cr- they crunched Fonzie's car with Pinky Pascadero. Uh, Malachi, in 4... Verses 5 through 6 says Elijah is going to come back prior to the tribulation. So what's going to happen to him? He eventually died, went to Sheol, was in Sheol. If you just trace the steps with me. He was in Sheol. And then Messiah comes into Sheol after his death on the cross, pronounces victory and Sheol. Then at the ascension, he takes everybody out of paradise, according to Ephesians 4, takes them back into heaven, and now we properly say to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord in heaven. So he was transported in the ascension with Christ as Christ went back into heaven. So now Elijah would be in heaven. Hence, what does God have to do then with Elijah if he's prophesied to come back? Is it a resurrection? What, what, if it is a resurrection, what type of resurrection is it? What, what are we talking about? Is he going to give Elijah a glorified body? No. Can't do that. But that gets out of order. 
Jairus' daughter. And the resurrection that happened after our Lord's resurrection of the saints of Israel coming out of the tombs and went into Jerusalem. They were given another body to function in, and that body eventually died. Right? Jairus' daughter eventually died. Lazarus died twice. Now, I know people will use the passage, well, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's a, that's a generality, because here's the deal. That doesn't work on Jairus' daughter. It doesn't work on Lazarus. It doesn't work on the, 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 the saints that came to Israel after the resurrection. And it doesn't work for the church that gets raptured. If we are part of the rapture, we, we are not appointed to, to death, right? We will be translated. So, Hebrews 9, I think verse 27, is a generality. In general, it's appointed unto man to die, and after this, the judgment. But there are exceptions to the rule. And the exceptions to the rule, perhaps, is Elijah. We know he comes back. So, apparently, he comes back in another, and given a new body. In one sense, and Jesus said he would have been if they would have accepted me in the person and work of, of, of John. He would have been the Elijah. Right. Okay? So I'm going with this, this, this line of theory. And so, and then Jesus goes, comes back and says, but Elijah does come to set all things. And because he, obviously by that statement, he was saying, they're not going to accept me anyway. So Malachi will come true. Um, and, and it's, it's, you're getting into the middle knowledge of Christ. He already knows what Israel's going to do and the planning's going to play itself out. Doesn't mean it wasn't a bona fide offer, but he, do, he knows they're going to uh, reject him. But hold on to that theory, Tom, because I'm going to come back to that. It's a sec, it's a, a secondary or tertiary theory that has validity to it. We do know Elijah comes back. If he comes back, and I believe he is coming back, it doesn't guarantee that he's one of the two witnesses. He may be, but he may not be. We do know he comes back. And, and what, in essence, what we're saying is, Elijah will come out of heaven in his soul, and God will reconstitute his body for him, his earthly body. And it will not be a glorified body. Glorified bodies are immortal. Okay? And immortality belongs to those who have been glorified. Well, if you follow the Apostle Paul, according to 1 Corinthians 15, he lays out very clearly there is an order to the resurrection, and the next order after Christ's glorified body is the church being glorified. So you can't have an Old Testament saint being glorified prior to a church saint. So the order follows this. Christ is resurrected and glorified. The church in the rapture is resurrected and glorified. The dead in Christ will rise first. First uh, uh, Thessalonians uh, 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. The second phase is tribulation saints and Old Testament saints after the second coming are resurrected and glorified. So guess where Elijah would be in the glorification of himself? with the Old Testament saints. So if he, is, if he receives a body, it is a non-glorified body, human body, that God reconstituted and put his soul back into his body just like he did with Lazarus, just like he did with Jonah. And, and so here's the deal. Now we're getting into speculation 
So if he's not going to be born again, where's his body? I don't know. It, God would have to reassemble the molecules and atoms to reconstitute his body. Now, God could obviously do that, but, you know, the pattern in Scripture when people are, are coming back from the dead is like Jonah, Lazarus, you know, though they were already a, a fully full uh, adult and their spirit came back into their body. Samuel, yeah, all that stuff. So I think what you're starting to see is somehow God will reconstitute his body and put him back into his body, and then he will start his work again. Now, here's the deal. If he is one of the two witnesses, he will die. Because that's the end fate for the two witnesses. They die after three and a half years. They both die. If it's not, and Elijah's allowed to go through the entire tribulation, I'm, I'm speculating that then he would probably be translated at the end of that. I'm not sure. Um, and that's, I don't know. There's no information on that. I don't know what would happen. I'm just speculating. So, yeah, and, and Larry's making a good point. The rapture doesn't initiate the tribulation. It's the peace covenant between Antichrist and Israel that initiates it. And that means that, look, we talked about there's a lot of pre-tribulational events that occur. Psalm 83, Gog and Magog. And somewhere in there, Elijah returns. And he returns to witness to Israel. And, and so he comes prior to the tribulation. Prior to, I mean, think about that. Um, and it's not during the tribulation, like, hey, tribulation day one, he's there. It's he's there prior to it. And I think he's there prior to it to warn Israel that what you've seen with Psalm uh, uh, 83, what you've seen with Gog and Magog, this is of God. And um, and it would try to help Israel come to faith in the Lord. God's doing everything he can to get their attention. So, yeah, it's it's feasible that he comes after that. After the rapture, because think about this, Scott. What, what, that makes somewhat sense because the church is witnessing now. The church is doing the job of witnessing. Well, what happens when the church is gone? You'd have no witnesses anymore. Well, then God has to start His program with Israel. So the first thing right out of the box, man, He's got the two witnesses on the ground. He's got Elijah, and He's got the hundred forty-four thousand, and they're ready to go. So the church is the major witnesser right now of the Great Commission. Um, so I think that's what would lend itself that Elijah's got to be on the ground right away at that point, uh, at least after the rapture. So. Well, um, uh, the remnant will. When I say the remnant, those who, who those who be- want to believe, I'm not saying it's, it's a forced thing, but the remnant constitutes those who willingly believe in Messiah. A small minority of Jews will. The majority of them won't. And I know, according to Zechariah, two-thirds of them don't. So, even right now, we've talked about there's a split going on in Israel itself and the Jewish people. There's Jews that are open. Like, like, okay, take a guy like Benjamin Netanyahu. He's got, he's having Bible study in the Old Testament. Yeah, he doesn't accept Yeshua, but he's having Bible study. That's far different than a Hollywood Jew that is so hostile to their own people saying, we don't have a right to be in the land and, they're like, you're a Jew. Why are you saying that? That's so far removed compared to even like Benjamin Netanyahu. You can almost see right now the split happening in Israel. And what's the majority? Majority of Israelites in, in Israel, 77% of them are liberal. Sure. 
oh man, I mean, you think about this. You're doing miracles like Moses did. You're doing miracles like Elijah did. Those are the two big guys. Those are the heavy hitters. That's the Babe Ruth of Israel. Let me prance in front of you, Babe Ruth, if you're a baseball fan. Oh, that's Babe Ruth. For them, it's Moses. It's Elijah. They're back. What are they saying? Receive Yeshua. Oh, no, no. We don't even pronounce his name. It's going to be the same thing. So anyway, we'll take a break. We'll, fit, we'll continue this next week about the two witnesses, and we'll do some more theories. I want to hold on to Tom's theories, okay? Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, Please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.